Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mailing It, the official podcast of the United States Postal Service. I'm Dale Parsan. And I'm Carla Kirby. In today's episode, we're going to take a behind-the-scenes look at how the Postal Service manages relations with its customer base. Which is just about everybody in the country when you think about it. At one time or another, we all utilize the Postal Service. That's absolutely right. Customer care is a big job for the Postal Service, and here to tell us about it in this week's episode, we have Mark McCrary and Nathan King. So Mark is the Postal Service's VP of Customer Experience, and Nathan is the Director of Consumer Advocate. Mark, Nathan, welcome to Mailing It. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Gentlemen, before we dive into all the work that goes into managing customer relations and addressing customer concerns, let's talk a little bit about each of you and and what you do at the Postal Service. Mark, let's start with you. You've worn a lot of hats at the Postal Service since you joined us as a specialist trainee back in 1990. Why don't you fill in the blanks for us? Yeah, thank you. Um, Just got this recent job back in October of last year, but quite a few different experiences uh, over the uh, 30 year, 30 plus year career, uh, starting on the technical side, um, working out in the field, gathering experience at post offices and plants, but then moved to headquarters and and had a interesting career um, working with our large customers on uh, the requirements and rules and regulations that they uh, follow as they induct mail into our systems but also had some time over um, in our marketing organizations, also had some time uh, with our promotional uh, advertising team, then some time in engineering, and also then IT. That led me to customer experience, which I can take all of that in, all that experience that I've been able to coalesce, helping customers, helping um, the uh, internal uh, customers within the Postal Service and bring that to customer experience to sort of advocate for our um, commercial shippers and consumers, residential customers, the whole gamut of customers. Honestly, Mark, it feels like you were made for this job, for this VP position. Was this the, was this the end goal as you were coming up through the ranks? Well, when the opportunity presented itself, <laughs> I, uh, I did see this would be a good fit. I thought it would be something I'd really enjoy as well. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. And so, Nathan, you've also taken on a bunch of different roles since you joined the Postal Service. Is it true that you started out as a letter carrier? That's absolutely true. In 1995, I was hired as a rural carrier associate, and I was a letter carrier for 17 years in the rural craft. And I've also worked as since then as a supervisor, as a manager in one of our large metros in uh, Florida. I was a postmaster in a number of spots. Then later, I worked as a retail manager at our district. And then as the marketing manager, in fact, that was my last assignment in the field. Nathan, so obviously you've had a a great background working in the field. And we talk about how everyone in the country is is a customer of the Postal Service. How did those years working hand in hand with our customers on a daily basis prepare you for your current role? Those years of experience have given me a full understanding of really what the end product is for our customers, what it takes to get mail delivered accurately, the things that can go wrong, the things that cause our customers heartache, and then also working as a manager that that supervised carriers and had that action. Then later as a marketing manager and a retail manager interacting with customers at the district level, all of those experiences have helped me to understand the pain points our customers experience and how we can make sure that we do things right for our customers. So, 
Quick thing out of curiosity, have with your time in the field, have you noticed and the changing in our needs of our customers themselves? What have you noticed over since 1995? Definitely. Um, one of the things that stands out to everyone is just the increase in the number of packages moving through our network with technology and the internet now. People can start up a business in their garage or in their basement, and we see people doing that all over the place. So just going from a customer who just received mail now to a customer that needs to navigate the shipping environment, understanding that, and then to have someone stop by and pick up those packages or other items. So definitely those changes are taking place all over the place. Wonderful. Before we get into the details of your work now, I think it's important for the audience to understand what we mean at the Postal Service when we talk about customer care. As you know, uh, here at the Postal Service, we have a wide range of customers serving 163 million residential deliveries, but we also have a large uh, quantity of small business up to large business customers, as well as intermediaries, mail service providers uh, that also work with us to induct mail into our system. So we have a wide range of customers, even the point of sale customers that come into our lobby. They all have their own individual needs and care. We are looking to satisfy the care needs of all of that from senders to receivers in the Postal Service. They have different needs. They have different issues. They have different service requests and, and things that go wrong that they need attention on. So we in the Postal Service and in customer experience are looking to satisfy the care needs of all of those constituents, no matter how they're inducting or what they're inducting in the Postal Service. So our infrastructure and customer care is to set up uh, opportunities for them to engage with us, whether it's through our business service network for commercial customers or through our call centers for residential customers, and also have means around which to provide us information, uh, submit service requests if they have issues, and we then also take uh, take great care in understanding their satisfaction no matter how they touch us. So we do a lot of surveying um, in those various channels to make sure we understand the, uh, the needs and what their current status of satisfaction is. So really want to make sure from senders to receivers, we provide that care opportunity for all of those customers. Great. Nathan, anything you want to add? Just people care about the things they mail. If they needed to send it via mail, an actual hard copy or so, of something, or a package, maybe it was a gift or merchandise, they care about that. And it's not just one person, both the sender and the receiver have a vested interest in that. And mail matters to people. 99% of the time, greater than 99% of the time, the things that travel through the mail stream, they go off without a hitch. No problems at all. It's just that very small percentage of the time when there's some hiccup or minor issue that comes the customer's way that we have to focus on to improve service. And we help uh, bring a resolution to that customer's problem. And really, by looking at the root cause of the problem, we can call attention to potential improvements that could prevent other customers from experiencing that same problem. Absolutely. So now that we have a little bit of a more of a baseline for the audience, let's talk about the different ways our organization manages customer care. Mark, how do you break down all the different aspects of the customer experience? Yeah, we have it really in, in the customer experience group. We have various departments within CX that are aligned around the, um, um, the various groups that we're looking to support. We have an enterprise customer care group um, that manages the relationship um, with our consumers and residential customers. We have the field team, what we call our customer relations field group, and they extend, they're an extension of that where they then have individuals in all our areas and districts to work issues for customers. 
we also have uh, Nathan's team uh, that uh, works here at headquarters and uh, is supports our kind of our white glove support for issues that come into headquarters, whether it's the Postmaster General, the Board of Governors, um, Capitol Hill. And we have the team that supports the commercial side. We call that the Business Service Network. And then we also have a strategy group that oversees all of that, including the measurements of how well we're doing against all of those channels. So, Mark, in, in terms of strategy and the idea that we're trying to look forward with our customer experience, when I think of a, of a customer calling in and you know having a complaint or having an issue that they're looking for resolution on, uh, I think of something, the post service being reactionary. How do we go ahead and, and align ourselves to start identifying those future needs, as Nathan mentioned during his background, needs change? How are we doing as a, as a postal service for that? Obviously, there's a certain reactionary component customer has an issue. We need to get on it. We need to resolve it. We do have an opportunity to surprise and delight customers in the event that does something goes wrong to come in, intercede, and, and make right by that customer. Even in the cases where you can't say a damaged item, lost item, or delayed item, you can't turn back the clock. But if you can respond, communicate effectively, it gives the customer that's really an opportunity for re customer retention, surprise, and delight. So that's what we do. But we also, as I said earlier, also look at measurement systems to understand where we're moving and what opportunities are out there to help gauge our customers, our field folks to change behavior, improve in certain areas, whether it's communication, contacting customers, improving the, the quality of the resolution. We also look at all the measurements Similarly, in the call center, so uh, courtesy, friendliness, attitude of our agents, and, and if there's opportunities there, measuring that. And really looking out across the landscape of, of ways not only you know our competitors, but really every some of the best practice companies out there and how they engage with uh, their customer experience groups and seeing if there's opportunities with technology, different means uh, to self-serve because there's – Really, you know, customers will contact us, but many nowadays want to be able to serve themselves. So are we, are we maximizing and using all the opportunities to give customers the ability to find the information that's out there as well? So that's a key piece of it as well, giving them the tools to self-serve uh, if they do not necessarily want to talk to somebody. So really looking out across all of the opportunities out there uh, in the landscape of customer experience to make sure that we're seeing where things are moving, how customers uh, are changing and the way they want to interact with us, and making sure we're measuring that we're doing a good job satisfying their issues. Nathan, when we spoke the other day, you mentioned that Consumer Advocate acts as the conscience of the Postal Service. Tell me a little bit more about how that works. Sure. So one of the most important things about customer care is making sure that the customers can be heard. We need to make sure that we have as many means as possible to, to gather what they need to share with us. So we do that through multiple ways, as Mark already had, has alluded to. We have our hotline, 1-800-ASK-USPS. Customers can call that and they can uh, you know, open an inquiry. Maybe they're just tracking a package or they need to let us know about a problem they're experiencing. Also on USPS.com, customers contact us through our Email Us application there, and they can let us know about an issue or concern they have that way as well. Then even... Um, when customers have already been assisted with an issue that they brought to our attention, there's an appeals process that they can escalate that matter to my team, the consumer advocate staff, where we can try to help them with those things. But really, 
being able to hear from customers helps us as the consumer advocate and really CX as a whole to make sure that when important decisions are being made or we're looking at different strategies, we can raise our hand on behalf of the customer and make sure that how those decisions are going to affect our customers are considered before those things take place in many cases. Mark, you touched uh, previously on the surveys that we conduct as an organization. What sort of things are you asking in those surveys? And, you know, how do we use those results to meet our group's customer care goals? Yeah, good question. Uh, We do follow a lot of the standard practices for uh, satisfaction surveys. Um, We ask the overall satisfaction uh, using a six-point scale. We also have surveys that that ask about their experiences at the delivery point with your carrier and receiving mail and packages, for example. We also, we ask what is called as the net promoter. Using an 11-point scale, uh, how likely would you uh, be to, based on that experience, how likely would you be to recommend the postal service um, due to that experience? But we also then go from there and uh, we ask follow-on questions, what we call drivers, what we know to be the things that drive whether they were satisfied or dissatisfied courtesy, knowledge, timeliness, communication, those types of things, depending on what the survey is, we'll ask those driver questions. And so then we can take those results from the drivers and we can correlate those to their overall satisfaction. And then based on how close they correlate, we can decide, we can make a determination. This is what's key to customers right now and what drives their satisfaction or dissatisfaction. And that changes over time. And we can use that data and those results to improve the process based on what the customers are telling us is most important. So it sounds like the information that we're collecting from the surveys, we're really using to improve our service to our customers. Would you agree? Absolutely. That's the key. It's it's um, not just a, a matter of, of gathering data for the purposes of gathering data. It's not is it need to take that data, turn it into information, then turn it into action, and then then we can use those results going forward to see how we're doing. Are we making the impacts that we plan to make? So with, with millions and millions of customers uh, each and every day, uh, there has to be a lot of consistency in the complaints that we receive. Nathan, what are some of those more common ones? Right now, about 70% of our complaints have to do with packages. And that makes sense when you consider it. The vast, large number of letters that travel through our network, there's no way to have any visibility into their travels through the postal network. But with packages, customers are beginning to experience that package as soon as they order it. They're tracking it. They're watching its progress. And so naturally, more of our inquiries will be around something that customers have visibility into. I definitely agree. Packages have been on the uptick. And I am one who tracks my packages meticulously. Once you've clicked the order, you want to know when it's going to be at your doorfront. So what are some of the most common reasons that somebody wouldn't receive a package? And how does your team go about addressing those? Yeah, uh, packages that are traversing a complex network of of, uh, processing facilities, surface transportation, perhaps air transportation. Um, Along the way, there could be delays due to weather. There could be uh, maybe limited cases, but maybe a package uh, was a missort. Um, perhaps maybe the equipment couldn't read a package for whatever reason. It was crinkled. Those things can all end up resulting in some delay uh, where a customer's expectation for delivery may not be met. So those are one one example. But then also down at delivery, 
uh, when packages make it down to the delivery unit for delivery by a carrier. 163 million addresses. These are delivered by humans, and and some things happen. Um, there may be a uh, perhaps a misdelivery there. Things can happen, and we want to correct that. Whether it was misdelivered, couldn't be delivered to a particular address because there was no access. Those types of things. If if there's a problem there, and our customers need to let us know, we want that opportunity for them to tell us, and we want to make it right by them. Uh, I know just from a logistics perspective, we hire a lot during this time of year to to help us out with the increased amount of mail volume in general. For the customer care centers, for just customer experience overall, do we do the same? Yeah, well, good question. Yeah, we do. We have. Um, we'll get right around now, we'll get anywhere from quarter of a million calls uh, a day coming into the call center. Um, and during that peak season, that can double or even more. And so wow. that does present a surge for us. Now, we do uh, thankfully have a, uh, a system that can handle a lot of those calls in a self-service environment. It's called our interactive voice response system. So not all those calls drop down to agents. Uh, we may have 50,000 or so calls that can increase pretty substantially, but it's a fraction of the total because we can we can serve customers in a self-service uh, mode uh, quite frequently. But we do need to account for the increase of load of calls coming in and the ones that drop to agents during that peak season. So we do have a other call centers within the CX world uh, that help commercial customers and reach out to them. Um, and those agents are sometimes then shifted, typically regularly shifted during that period to support our commercial 1-800-ASK customers to ramp up the capacity to handle those calls because we really want to make sure that we don't increase uh, our average speed to answer and keep people on the line and keep them uh, holding too long. We have improved our technology there where we will call a customer back if they don't want to stay on the line. That's really helped. Um, it's called virtual hold. So that has improved it, but really, we want to make sure that we have the resources necessary to appropriately handle the surge that we see in the uh, peak season. So sticking with technology, Nathan, the Pulse service launched a little while ago, Informed Delivery. How does that support customer care? I love Informed Delivery. Uh, one of the things that it makes possible is customers need information about the mail and packages coming their way. And without Informed Delivery, customers have to contact us to ask to inquire. But customers who subscribe to Informed Delivery, they're able to see nearly every mail piece coming their way, sometimes a few days in advance of the actual delivery. They see it coming their way. And that does two things. They see what's on the way to them. And then if there is a problem with one of the mail pieces they're expecting, they're able to let us know. And really, from a customer care perspective, our best opportunity to help a customer when there is some sort of mishap or problem with a package or something else that they were expecting is to know about it as soon as possible so that whatever happened can be corrected and we can get that piece delivered. Really, informed delivery is a service that if customers have not yet signed up for it, they ought to. And it's free. So during the podcasts, we normally try and talk about delivering for America in our 10-year plan. So when we talk about customer service, customer care, what impact does delivering for America have on customer care? Yeah, as a key tenant of uh, delivering for America is offering exceptional customer service. That's a piece of it. And uh, when you look at delivering for America and some of the 
work that's coming down the line with our network and improving our network, um, changing the nodes in the network to create more efficiency, limit the number of uh, handoffs that happen between our facilities, um, improving the environments with these facilities into which our employees work. All of these things lead greatly to improve customer experience. So we really are look forward to the future of, of the work that's going on in the network side and also in, in setting up a facility structure that really benefits our employees. They want to come to work. All of those things are going to be a benefit to customer experience. So when it comes to financial sustainability, anything that we can do that will prevent harm to our customers is key. Customer complaints are costly. Handling them, investigating them, at times there are issues that cause customers to think about other shipping options that are available to them. Anything we can do when handling customer complaints to resolve those issues and even better to call attention to the root cause of the problem that caused the problem to begin with for the customer. If we can help to better those things, then we're supporting the Delivering for America plan. Yeah. And also the, uh, um, the network that we're setting up, uh, uh, to in, to allow our commercial customers, package shippers, mail to reach their customers um, one day and a day, two days, uh, very efficiently. The intention is is that we are going to satisfy the needs of our commercial customers, surprise and delight them, and in, in a network that they're really going to want to take advantage of. And so that's a key piece of it. So we're here in the customer experience team to support that side of it as well, and make sure those commercial customers are getting what they expect from this new network that will allow them to reach their customers in a time certain, effective manner. Earlier in our conversation, we touched on consistency in customer complaints and a lot of the major reasons why customers call in and seek help from from us. To your knowledge, what are some of the oddest reasons that people call in? What are, what are things that stand out to you? Um, well, they can be very interesting. One that comes to mind very readily is a gentleman in Florida who uh, owns an alligator farm. And believe it or not, within the Postal Service, you can ship very small, harmless, cold-blooded animals, which includes baby alligators. His contention was that even a five-foot-long alligator should be considered harmless. <laughs> so he wrote to the Postmaster General, and eventually that was relayed to my team to respond to him. And his argument was that that we should consider allowing even larger alligators to be shipped through the mill stream. Maybe harmless, but might give somebody a heart attack. <laughs> definitely. definitely. So I'm curious, did we ship the alligator? No, he was, he was <laughs> no writing way. for permission. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Nathan, so you said that somebody mailed in their complaint to the to the Postmaster General. Do we get a lot of stuff via mail and it does it go beyond just normal complaints? One of the things that's a regular, that we see with great regularity is people show concern about what's happening to the Postal Service. They love the Postal Service and they're worried about the Postal Service's future. So our team gets the opportunity to respond to those customers and assure them that all of the efforts currently underway are to make the Postal Service, uh, to ensure it has longevity, that we're going to be here for as far into the future as we can see, and that any changes or any strategies being employed are to put us on a good footing so that the Postal Service will be here for good. So thanks, Mark and Nathan, for joining us on this episode of Mailing It. I think Dale and I picked up a lot of great information. Well, so great to be here. Thanks for having us, and thanks for giving us the opportunity to to showcase uh, what we do for our customers every day. We do it all across the organization, but that's our primary focus here in CX, um, to care for our customers. And so thanks, thanks a lot for having us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. 
All right, everybody, it's time for Did You Know? Is it okay if I start this one off, Carla? Absolutely. Great. Did you know that originally postal rates were based on distance? The farther you had to send a letter, the more it cost. That sounds like it was complicated for the postal clerks. It was indeed. To make it even more complicated, postage wasn't based only on the distance a letter traveled. It also took into account the number of sheets in a letter. Back in the day, people didn't use envelopes, because that would have counted as a second sheet of paper costing double. Instead, people would write their message on one side of a sheet of paper, then fold and seal it, and write the address on the outside. No, no it wasn't. But the whole postal system was much simpler when it began in 1775. At that time, there were only about 70 post offices scattered along the East Coast. So at that point, was postage expensive? Yes, yes it was. For example, from 1799 to 1815, it cost 8 cents a sheet for a letter traveling up to 40 miles. If you were sending a letter between 300 and 500 miles, the rate went up to about 20 cents a sheet. But I'll put that in perspective. A two-page letter traveling from, say, New York City to Richmond, Virginia, would have cost roughly 40 cents in 1814. That's more than $6 in today's money. We take for granted how easy it is to communicate today. But back then, with no telephone or telegraph, the Postal Service was the only way to get information and to keep in touch. So I guess that didn't seem like such a high price to pay. You're so right. The post office department did simplify and lower postage rates in the middle of the 19th century, though. In 1845, the department began charging rates based on weight and whether a letter was going more than or fewer than 300 miles. Six years later, the distance limit for the lowest rate increased to 3,000 miles. That included most of the United States. And an even lower rate was charged if postage was prepaid. If postage was prepaid, you mean people didn't have to pay in advance like we do now? Yes, postage could be paid by the sender or the recipient at this time, or even partially by each. U.S. postage stamps were introduced in 1847 to make paying for postage and accounting for revenues simpler. Eventually, Congress eliminated distance-based postage in favor of charging based on how much a letter actually weighed. You know what's even simpler? Forever stamps. Remember when you had to buy one and two cent stamps whenever they increased the rates to make up the difference between the new rate and the old stamps? Yeah, that changed the century. Since 2011, all commemorative stamps for the first class mail one ounce rate have been forever stamps. That means they'll always be equal in value to the price of mailing a one ounce letter by first class mail. Love it. Hey Dale, for my did you know, I'm going to share some fun facts. Think of them as postal superlatives. For example, did you know what the shortest delivery route in the country is? No, I don't. As of this year, it's Route 019 in Parker, Colorado. The carrier travels just 2.3 miles and delivers to 869 boxes. What about the longest route? Go for it. Again, this year, because routes can change from year to year, it's Rural Route 301 in Clarinda, Iowa. That carrier travels 181.4 miles daily but delivers only to 234 boxes. 180 miles is roughly the distance between Chicago and Indianapolis, so that's a lot of ground to cover. Sounds like it. I've got a couple more postal service extremes. The smallest U.S. post office is in Ochopee, Florida. Ochopee is an unincorporated community in Collier County with a population of fewer than 15 people. How small is small? 
The post office building actually measures seven by eight feet. One person manages the desk and a carrier delivers to 300 patrons. And the biggest? In terms of retail space, that would be the James A. Farley Post Office in New York City. It has 33,100 square feet of retail space. By the way, the Farley Post Office is home to Operation Santa, a holiday program that I know you covered in an earlier episode. That we did. Those are some pretty cool facts, Carla. I bet you could find plenty more, but we're out of time for this segment. Well, that wraps up this episode of Did You Know? Carla, great episode today. It was it was great to sit down with Mark and Nathan, and frankly, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I didn't realize how much detail goes into customer experience, customer care, and serving our, our extensive customer base in that manner. I thought it was just somebody had an issue or a complaint, they called in and we helped them. But now I see all this background strategy and really the immense amount of effort that we put forth as an organization. I definitely learned some things today too. Like I said, 163 million customers, you know, quarter of a million calls a day, and that's a non-peak. You got to imagine they've got to have a strategy. They've got to really know what they're doing to help our customers. Absolutely. You know, knowing that the Pulse Service has the, the immense support in terms of our personnel, the interactive voice response or IVR platform that we utilize, the virtual hold, which frankly, I, I love that feature. I think the ability for me to just get a call back really helps me out in my day and helps me manage my time. But I also heard that you can have the ability to text message, SMS message with a customer care specialist. So if that works better in your day, that's also an option that's out there for you. I think nowadays I do 50% of my conversations via text. So text is a great option. I would also say that going online and using the website, submitting your request also is a great way to avoid the call. Our tool set overall is just fantastic. Absolutely. That wraps up this episode of Mailing It. Don't forget to subscribe to Mailing It wherever you get your podcasts and to make sure you don't miss the next episode. Also, follow along on Instagram at U.S. Postal Service, Twitter at USPS, and on Facebook. 